podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi listeners, Tom here. Sorry I couldn't make the pod last night. I just had some, a few kind of real life issues going on. Same for uh, the pods being a little bit late out. I'm really sorry about that. Just kind of got time um, today to get around to doing it. I hope you enjoy the pod with Lucy and Sam and I will hopefully be back next week. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello everyone. The biggest double game week of the season is upon us and it started with plenty of drama. As if Bakayo Saka's shock benching wasn't enough, Tom is also benched tonight due to unexpected real life commitments. That leaves you with me deputising for him and the wonderful Sam deputising for me. We can only hope we're as convincing without Tom as Arsenal were without Saka. Once again, we're midway through a game week, so we'll be doing our best to look ahead without too many tentative answers. We'll also be avoiding any mention of Southampton Football Club, aside from under the list of teams to target. So, Sam, it's great to have you back on. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's great to actually finally get to talk to you directly. Um, we've been sort of ships passing in the night on uh, WGTA in recent weeks. Um, so, yeah, great to chat to you. Great to be back on the show. And, um, yeah, it's been it's been an all right game week so far. It still feels like quite early days. Um, obviously, we've got the Spurs game the Spurs game coming today whilst we're recording as well. So fingers crossed for good news there on the Kane front. But I won't cry about Saints uh, today. We'll try and avoid that for the time being. We are who got the assist and it feels great to be able to say that. I've always wanted to say that. Um, you can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL. You can find Lucy at Lucy Hynet with two T's. And you can find me, Sam, at FPL Pricey. On the pod today, we'll start with this week's surprise and potential absentees. Saka, obviously, Haaland and Deserby threatening rotation in midweek and what impact this might have on our strategy ahead. With Leicester and Chelsea finally sacking their managers on Sunday, we will check in to see if this represents any new opportunities. And lastly, we'll always, as as always, look at the transfers and captaincy for game week 30 in full anticipation of further double game week chaos. We're recording, as I mentioned, on the evening of Monday, the 3rd of April, with the Spurs game going ahead in the next hour or so. So fingers crossed there. Yes, excellent. Yes, after weeks of me complaining about a lack of opportunities and narrow transfer plans, we were left with a few curveball team sheets after the international break. Uh, some of us caught the news before the deadline, uh, some of us didn't. And now a lot of plans are up in the air, including those involving Mr Erling Haaland. Um, I locked my transfers in on Friday after the press conferences and checked out of um, FPL Twitter for the weekend. So I missed the sack of madness and any opportunity to react. Um, Sam, how, how was your Saturday morning? Very similar to yours by the sounds of it. Um, I also locked in early. It, I did do it on Saturday morning. It didn't look like any big news was coming. I didn't have Haaland anyway, so I wasn't looking for early team news that often comes um, with an 11 o'clock deadline. So I was pretty confident that Saka would start, um, like like everyone else, I guess. Um, so I locked in at about nine o'clock, then went for a run that finished about five past the deadline. So I came back to the chaos of Saka being benched or potentially benched. Obviously, we didn't know at that time. Uh, and no, none of us were really expecting early team news on Arsenal before the deadline. Obviously, it could have come out at like 1.30 or 1.45, like sometimes it does. But yeah, it was uh, interesting to come back to. In a way, it felt quite nice that I'd missed it altogether because I feel like, I don't know if you agree, but with I think it came out about five minutes before the deadline on Andy's stream potentially yeah Yeah, um so yeah I don't think I would have reacted well to that I think I potentially would have panicked done something really silly and messed up my team for weeks to come so in a way obviously we only got the one point out of Saka but I don't mind it so much especially with such high EO and the fact that it means that I don't have another issue to deal with two weeks down the line I think I'm hinting at the fact that if I would have brought in anyone it probably would have been Madison and 
in two weeks, I probably would have wanted rid of him anyway. So, yeah, I, I it it kind of sucks that the news came out before the deadline. Some people were re- able to react, others weren't in a position to, but that's the burden we bear with FPL, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think what would have thrown me is that, and I, I think this applied to a lot of people that were around for the news, is that obviously Saturday was April the 1st, mm. and I think a lot of people were like, oh, Andy's just been done by an April Fool's. Like, there's nothing there. Um, yeah. So that would have been another thing to factor in, I think, as well. Like, how valid is this news? Like, as much as Andy's got good sources, are those sources just having a wind-up? Or, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was like another thing you'd have had to have factored in. Um, mm. I think I'd have probably bought in Salah. Um, okay. Did you have the money spare for Salah then? I just had enough, yeah. Interesting. I'd have rolled the dice on it. Um, mm. Which leaves me... A- a bit bitter about it but like as you say in terms of forward planning that would have been really difficult to kind of maneuver so sometimes maybe these things are are better I don't know if you're like me but I I really struggle with like last minute decisions like if there's anything that requires like a five minute turnaround I tend to like get a bit thrown by that and I think that's probably why I struggled in previous seasons you know when we had a lot of like last minute postponements and random things happening that was when things tended to unravel on me because I'm just not very good at it. So yeah, I do yeah. feel a bit like that. Yeah, completely. And I think, like, I, I think I hinted at it a minute ago. If I was around five minutes before that deadline, there's no way I would have made a decision. It might have gotten lucky, and I might have been up on the uh, on the decision on this game week. But long term the decision I made in five minutes without being able to look at my spreadsheets and look at all of my planning documents, which is very sad, but I like being able to map it out would have been very unlikely to have served me long-term. I think in your case with Salah, if you were around for the deadline, that would have been maybe an easier decision because Salah looks like a good bet over the next few weeks. Although I suppose it might, it might've locked you out of Harland it would have, um, yeah. next week anyway. So it's a it's a bit of a give and take. I'm not too frustrated by it, um, especially as we've seen it before with Martinelli being benched earlier this season. Salah as well was a good example a couple of years ago. I think it was against Palace, and he came oh, off the yeah. bench, scored twice, got an assist, and everyone was everyone, cursing everyone their luck. Moved their captaincy, didn't they? He moved on. Yeah, like oh no, we can't. He's benched. We can't use him. And then yeah, exactly. And then, and then it's just sod's law sometimes that these players are just due to come on with about 30 minutes to go, especially if it had been a tight game at that point, which until the penalty, it looked like it might be. Um, And all of a sudden leads with tired legs. He could have had a bit of fun in the last 30 minutes. Obviously it didn't pan out that way, but we've still got a great player in our sides. Those of us who kept Saka obviously still have a great player in their sides against Liverpool, who've just shipped four to Arsenal's title rivals so I I don't think it's a nightmare position to be in Um, obviously if you could have gone uh, to the likes of Salah last minute then um, you're feeling better about life right now but I think it was it was a last minute decision and I I don't think you can count yourself too unfortunate for having having missed it in this particular situation. Yep I think we're mostly we're at peace with the fact that we that we missed out there Um, yeah I think, yeah, he's one of those players that I spent most of the season wanting in my team. So to have moved him out and then worked out another way to get him back in again. I think I had this conversation with Tom last week, which was basically like, I don't think I'm going to move him because I don't know when I'd find the opportunity to bring him back. So just one of those things, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to try and overthink it because I think if that Salah opportunity comes up again, I'll have done it with a bit more planning and a bit more understanding of what I'm doing with it rather than just doing it on the fly and that probably uh brings us to our second kind of surprise of the team sheets of Saturday um Haaland was left out of the squad against Liverpool despite general expectations that his withdrawal from the Norway squad was a convenient excuse for navigating City's busy schedule um and I think the main one of this one is that if he's not fully fit Pep isn't the type of guy to give us a clear time frame is he no. Um, yeah. If anyone was out there that we wouldn't trust with uh, team news, it would probably be Pep. Um, although in this situation, I don't know about you, I feel quite confident 
I know what's going to happen with Haaland this week. And I, I'm never really that confident. Oh, go on. No, I'm not very City confident. in general. You, you go I, on. I just get the sense that he's going to want to give him minutes ahead of ahead of the Champions League. And I think it would feel a bit weird to throw him in after like effectively a proper injury and three weeks without a match to go straight into a knockout round against Bayern. I think he gets 60 against Southampton and probably has a lot of fun in that 60 and then gets taken off around the 60 minute mark if he, if things are looking okay. But again, predicting Pep is a, is a tough game and I say I'm confident. I'm as confident as a, as a person can be in predicting Pep, but I, I feel like he should get minutes before going into a crunch match in the Champions League. I don't know about you. I don't see what you're saying there, but I'm also wondering if he thinks that a half an hour against Southampton's enough, which... Yeah, it probably is. It probably is. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't take a lot to bind you into a game against Southampton, does it? So mm. maybe it's not not so bad. Um, I think it is probably, because you did mention it, worth touching on City's schedule for April because it is insane. Um, so mm. they've got Southampton on the 8th, the first leg against Bayern on the 11th, Leicester on the 15th, the second leg against Bayern on the 19th, the FA Cup semi against Sheffield United on April the 22nd, Arsenal on April the 26th in what's a pretty crunch game, and then Fulham on the 30th. So they're basically playing every three or four days for the entire month. Um, Yeah, okay. (laughs) I'm less confident now. (laughs) (laughs) Immediate backtrack. What have I said? What have I done? Um, Which is what makes me nervous because... Um, Kieran asks if Alvarez and Haaland can play together and who we should be targeting from City. And looking at that schedule, I'm thinking they they can play together, but are they actually ever going to play together? Because Pep usually needs a striker at this point. You know, they they seem to have reoriented their team around playing with a central striker again after obviously last season not really playing with one. Mm. And it seems to me that Pep will want to keep one of them always kind of in the fire to, to keep them in shape. So where are you with City and, and kind of more generally beyond Haaland's potential minutes? Because I guess we're going to have to see how the dust settles on that one and the press conferences later in the week. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. We'll get more information on Haaland and fitness later in the week. If he's trained as well, we'll see pictures too. So we hopefully we'll have a lot a lot of info to go on with Haaland. But with the other players, it's always been a minefield. And Alvarez... If we know he's starting, what a bargain he would be. It would be incredible to have him up top alongside Haaland. And I completely agree with the line of questioning. If we could have any sort of confidence of that happening, I think he'd be in most of our sides within a couple of weeks. But I think City have landed on a shape this season. And again, he does like to mix it up. He does like to think of different ways of planning a way to win win a game especially late in the Champions League but I feel like what you said is completely right they're trying to play with this one striker system and if Alvarez was to play with Haaland he'd probably play in KDB's role as as that floating eight or maybe out wide on the right where Mares and Foden have been playing recently as well I think Alvarez is more than capable in both of those positions. I'm pretty sure he's played in KDB's role once or twice. And Pep did mention how how well adjusted he was to that position. So I could see that happening once or twice. But because we're getting to the crunch matches in the Premier League now, I don't think Alvarez is realistically going to be replacing Kev in any, any given any given league game considering they're they're chasing Arsenal down maybe it happens after 60 minutes he comes in and gives KDB a bit of a rest or maybe once or twice he'll get played out on the on the right but I I have no confidence of Alvarez getting consistent minutes and unfortunately at this stage in the season you probably want a player that you've got a little bit more confidence of of consistent minutes speaking of um what I didn't realize until yesterday was the consistency that Grealish and Gundo have had in the team recently have you noticed this as well they've just been playing non-stop yeah so Grealish was the big guy that I was going to point out just because we're thinking of players that might potentially get minutes because the fixtures are really 
if I mean obviously with the big asterisk about their whole schedule and the Champions League and the FA Cup etc their Premier League fixtures are actually really good because we've got Southampton coming then Leicester there's the blank for which I assume a lot of people will be free hitting anyway there's Mm. obviously Arsenal but I mean they'll play their strongest team then anyway because they have to and then there's Fulham West Ham for the double Fulham West Ham for the double is pretty good Mm. Leeds and Everton before they have Chelsea and they've obviously got another fixture to be arranged as well so I mean you'd want if you could more than just Haaland the issue is where you get that coverage from and I think probably at the moment Grealish is the man you'd be looking at I mean his output's improved significantly since um the World Cup he obviously had that goal and assist against Liverpool this week Mm. and his minutes are 88 90 90 71 90 76 68 90 90 90 I mean he, he the last time he didn't start a game with against Man United in game week 20. Yeah. And and even then he came on and assist, assisted, didn't he? Was it yes, that week? He yeah. Did. Oh no, he scored a goal. He scored a goal. Oh, he scored. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. So yeah, he's bit I think he started is that the last 10 you mentioned and then Yeah, that's um, the last 10 because it yeah. was a double game week in 20, yeah. So he's really locked that left wing position down and I I don't know about you. I feel like yesterday was his best game in a city shirt so far and yeah, by a long way, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it looks like finally he's getting into the right positions for end product as well. I know Pep loves him as a ball carrier anyway and and loves that aspect to his game. But it looks like he might be starting to develop a sort of a second role for City and be more productive in front of goal um, and actually creating those final chances. Definitely. Um, I was just thinking, if if you're a Madison owner, is that some... I mean, I know you're not and I'm not, but if we were... Do you think Grealish would be somewhere we'd be looking? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. At, at that price point, um, especially when you think about the way the fixtures fall for Leicester, obviously they go up against City in two weeks and that seems like the perfect switch as long as you are free hitting in game week 32, of course. Um, Grealish in for someone like a Madison, the timing couldn't be better, really, because then you're playing Grealish against Leicester who have been ex- extremely leaky all season and then get to free him out for 32 straight back in ahead of the double, um, which as you mentioned previously is about as good as um, the doubles come in game week 34, I think as well. And obviously then 37, I think is a double for them too. That'll be a double likely, yeah. So, so yeah, Grealish looks like a great bet. I think the problem that a lot of people will have is where do we fit him in? Because most of us will have to Brighton, either a sacker at the moment or with an eye on Salah, I guess, moving in in the next few weeks and then probably to United in a lot of cases as well. So unless you've got Madison in, um, which I think is he's about 50% EO. So maybe I'm uh, underrating that move slightly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if you don't have Madison in, it's harder to find that space for a Grealish or or a Gundogan. But if you do then I think you're looking at a great differential ahead of the run-in. Yeah, I think that is a fair point. I think a lot of people have either probably either got Bruno or Madison. So Madison, you've got a kind of more natural avenue. If you've got Bruno Fernandes, you're probably not looking at Grealish because he's locked down pretty much now, isn't he? So yeah, it just depends where you are from a strategy perspective. I can't see a way that I'd get Grealish in as much as I quite like him. I know you mentioned kind of Gundogan in passing there. Are you quite a good... Gundogan fan because I know Tom's big on Gundogan and I'm always a bit like mm, the central midfielder I'm not sure I'm that keen yeah it, he goes through little patches where he's more productive I remember a couple of seasons ago he just went through a patch where he was basically playing second striker so I'm keeping an eye on it for moments like that I don't think he's a realistic option that I'm considering at the moment especially because I'm one of the people that my my midfield has basically picked itself for the next few weeks, I need to get across to Salah eventually, but I don't, unless an injury strikes, I don't foresee being able to slot in a Man City midfielder, but he's one that I would keep an eye on if he's getting consistent minutes. And because he plays that eight role for City quite regularly, they do often like throwing that, that number eight into the box with late runs. And if Grealish is on the cutback, or is cutting back to an eight that's drifting in. Gundogan's the one playing on the inside left where the cutback would go to. So 
I see him potentially being an option, but it would take a, a brave person to go for Gundogan over the options we've got in midfield already. So it's an outside, it's an outside bet. But if you're chasing rank and you fancy some something a little bit different, then maybe. Right. Well, there you go. Is there anyone else from City? Because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those players that's looking for kind of op- opportunities, and I think probably one of the players that I'm looking at my team is Chilwell. Because I don't know if I'll want to hold him. I know he he will have another double probably in 37. But mm. their fixes before that aren't great. They've obviously now got this uncertainty around the manage, manager, which I'm sure we'll discuss later. But I'm looking at City and hoping that I can find a defender. Now, I've looked through some of their minutes and it's a bit hard to make out. And, and I, I guess for a lot of people, a defender would be much more convenient. Any defenders you'd be you'd be keen on? Yeah, I, I think if I was going to get another City player it would probably have to be def- a, a defender at this point because that's the only place in my team that's got any flexibility over the next weeks I think um, the problem is like you mentioned I, I can't really see where I'm going at the moment Ake's been playing really well so I mean that's a, that's an option I, don't, I haven't tracked his minutes recently but obviously he looks fairly well nailed into that team Um the the worry with Ake is is the cameos. Mm. So he he does like quite regularly get ninety minutes and it's great. But the the two he's had recently where he didn't start, he's had a one minute against Forest and a five minutes against Villa. And I know you're going to think from a defender if they come on as a sub anyway. But the the sub ten minute cameos are the really painful ones, you know, where you're like, ah, oh, what a waste of a spot that is. Um. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing that annoys me about Ake, because if he was either completely not in the squad or starting, you you could at least kind of stomach when he misses. But when, when he gets these cameos, it's just so, so painful to take. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and, and Pep likes bringing him on for a cameo to just solidify for the last five minutes, doesn't he? Like, there's, yeah. it's not just random that he has happened to come on for five minutes. There's logic that... Pep could easily use again for the rest of the season if he needs to. So, yeah, that's that's an issue. If someone like Stones got a run of like 90 minutes week in, week out, then I, I would definitely be more tempted to jump on him than, than Ake for that reason. Mm. But at this point, and City just haven't been keeping that many clean sheets all season. So I... I don't think there's any real rush to to run to a City player. And I know there's a lot of people talking about Edison potentially. Mm. And that seems like maybe the simple solution. But I just don't know if I can bring myself to do that. As like, Especially when they're conceding one big chance every game and it seems to be going in every week. I, <laughs> I don't know if I could do that to myself. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just hate using one. transfers on goalkeepers. That It always feels like a waste. Um mm. And I know Tom went through a thing last last year of just spending so many transfers on goalkeepers. And I feel like it very rarely wins you like a lot of points because, you know, those big 11 pointers for goalkeepers are just so hard to predict. That, yeah. You know, the ceiling tends to be quite low and honest and it is very low because he just doesn't get very many saves. So, yeah, I, I think you're probably right in the sense that he's the safe bet, but motivating yourself to use a transfer on it is is a tough one. Um. To loop back to Stones, yeah, I think if he can keep fit and keep starting, he's probably the one because he either basically doesn't play or does or starts. He's only had one sub appearance all season. So Mm. he's the one, I think, that if he looks fit, he'd be the one. But then I do wonder if he'll just be used in the Champions League because those are the priority games for City in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And if City go deep in the Champions League, by the time we get to game week 34, I think it'll be very hard to trust anyone other than Haaland. To, and, and only because Haaland is so lethal that we would take 90 minutes in one and 30 in the other. With any other City player, you would probably bet on them only playing one of the two if they're going deep in the Champions League at that point. So it... It's a not it's not a position that I, I want to be thinking about for the next few weeks. I'll probably reassess when I get to game week 33 and see where the land lies on City players at that point. Um, who knows? Maybe Mares is starting week in, week out on the right wing and we all get 
suckered into that again. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. If Haaland is out like a bit longer, mm. are you using that money? Are you rolling with the money? Do you have any idea on what you might do? Obviously, we've got a lot to happen before then. But I'm just thinking there's a lot of money burning in a lot of pockets right now. Do people get tempted into using it or do we hold it? I think you probably use it um, okay. because I. it's a tough one. But I think the next two weeks for City, because of the way it falls around the Champions League fixtures, if Haaland is for some reason out this week and we know, and we get news that he's probably not going to play against Southampton, you're basically making a bet on po- probably a Salah doing well in two fixtures against Haaland, maybe playing 60 minutes at most against Leicester. And I, I mean, obviously he could tear Leicester a new one quite easily, but it's it's Salah in two games and he does perform well against the big, the bigger sides as well. So I would probably be tempted to use the money on someone like Salah. And, and so, most people were planning on selling Tony mm. now on his nine yellow cards. Yeah. Oh, are we looking at hits? I th- yeah, potentially. Well, uh, so I've made I've made a couple of notes on this because this is my plan at the moment. Okay. Because I sold Odegaard for Bruno instead of Saka, I now don't have the money to get to Haaland from Tony directly. I would have to take a hit oh. if, I, if I got rid of Tony. But the reason I've gone this way is because I genuinely believe that I would be very happy starting both March and Matoma against Spurs. And I, I, th- I think Spurs go out swinging against Brighton at home under, under new management. Um, and I think there are spaces in behind for Matoma and March. So I don't mind benching Tony even if he gets the ban. so Well, only if he gets the ban, otherwise I'll start him. Um, I'll bench him and then probably sell him for um, Greenwood at 4 million um, and just burn the spot before game week 32. And then that would give me the money to get to both Salah and Haaland after the free hit, having already got one of the two this week, depending on whether Haaland's fit or not. Um, Harland would come in for Kane, I think, for me, which sounds so wrong when I say it out loud, but that would be the route I take, I think. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't realised that you'd cut off the straight swap to Harland. Yeah. That gives your whole strategy a slightly different look, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It was uh, It was a call I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with, um, but I was only... I only had 0.1 spare, even if I sold Saka. So I and I like making my lo- my moves quite late in the week. So I had a gut feeling that I'd probably get priced out of it either way. So I just thought I'd prefer to keep the better player. Well, I say the better player, the better FPL asset in Saka. Obviously, not knowing that he didn't start this week, um, but um, I thought I'll go this route, and then I'm okay with double Brighton attack against Spurs and I'll just use that as kind of a differential this coming week and hopefully it pays off if Tony gets the ban um so yeah we'll see how it goes and obviously he's made it halfway through the game week without the second the 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 10th yellow card so fingers crossed (laughs) but this might date very very poorly by this time tomorrow (laughs) Sam cries to himself watching Redmond now um (laughs) okay cool um I think yeah I think Lots of people will look at Salah quite closely if we do get any bad Harlan news. So I think probably mm. people need to be aware of that because I expect his EO to soar pretty quickly um, amongst engaged managers. I think there were quite a few buys this week anyway, but mm. if Harland, if the money is kind of, you, you know, you can you know you can rule that option out, I think Salah will will rise pretty quickly. Mm. Right, so the, the, the last issue, I suppose, on the unexpected... Um, changes is that um, Deserby made comments after the Brighton game suggesting that he may look at rotation in midweek because he's had quite a lot of players um, on international duty and and undergoing a bit of kind of fatigue which is annoying because before the game he said no no fatigue is not an issue 
So th- thanks very much for that, Zerbi. Um, so do you think it's possible we underestimated uh, the influence of the international break this week? Should we have kind of factored that more into our planning or have we just got unlucky? Yeah, I, I think it was something that we were all aware of. I think we knew the risk anyway, but realistically, I don't think anyone was going to be taking out the likes of Mitoma or, or McAllister um, when we're not just buying them. We hadn't bought them just for this week anyway. They're long-term picks. A lot of a lot of people who wildcarded back in 26 bought them for double game weeks prior to the international break as well and did very well out of them too and are still expecting them to do really well in the following two double game weeks or is it three that it's three get three double game weeks they've got they've a lot got. of doubles that's what everyone yeah. knows about Brighton, don't they oh the double team yeah them yeah i love those literally yeah they've got basically every week is a double for them um that's the way i'm imagining yeah, basically it basically everyone that's we'll just we'll yeah. say that yeah so if they happen to get 30 minutes or the bench in this double game week it is annoying but long term I think it will still pay off and I, I think our strategy was based around them being good picks for the remainder of the season rather than just for bench boost game week 29 um, and then outside of Brighton obviously we're, we've st- st- still have to wait for the second half of the game week and there might be more rotation than I'm expecting, but I don't think we've seen that much rotation so far. Obviously, Harland and Saka both being, well, Saka coming off the bench wasn't really a rotation thing. It was more of, he. I think he was ill the night yeah, before. He got ill the night before, yeah. Yeah. He kept himself on his own bench boost. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. um, which is fantastic confidence, especially he must have known that he was benched <laughs> eventually and he kept himself anyway. So yeah. fair play. Um and Haaland obviously was a real injury in the end, which I wasn't expecting. Um, no one was. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think there, there's been that much rotation. Obviously, it could come in in the second game, but I would, if it was an international break uh, issue, it mm. would have probably happened in the first game. So I, I, I don't think it's been that bad. And I always think in the past, I've overestimated rotation as an issue especially over like the Christmas period and I've ended up making moves that go against my instincts of having the better player just because I think someone's more nailed and then that better player even if they get taken off after 60 minutes have have scored much much better than the the safer dull pick that I've got just because they play 90 minutes I'm thinking Dunk versus a Stupinan for instance but um Obviously, that's not really worked out so far this week. But in general, I think we are safe. I'm safe in the knowledge that it will pay off long term. And a bit of rotation at the back end of this game week would be frustrating. But so far, I think we've gotten off okay. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I think especially at Brighton's price points, you can kind of stomach everything being a little bit off kilter. I think, you know, in terms of being roughly five and a half mid fielders and you know four and a half defenders that you know you just can't you've just got to take it on the chin to a certain extent and I think Brighton have just been no-brainers to a certain extent so we just have to take it on the chin and um I think the majority of bench boosts so far this week are looking quite good is is that's kind of the impression I'm getting over Twitter is that what you're getting yeah I, I think it has been quite good obviously Saka it is an annoying one for a lot of us. Um, 73% EO, I think, around, around the top yeah. couple of hundred K. So most people have been burnt by Saka. Um, but outside of that, um, Raya coming in with 11 saves, I think it was, and two bonus. 11, yeah, it was 11. Crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, I couldn't believe that when I saw it. So that's helped. Um, a lot of people had a second Newcastle defender on their bench. So Botman and, and Cher have both um, done very well. A few people out there maybe with um, Dan Byrne or Pope. Um, so, yeah, that's done really well. Um, Pinnock for a few people hanging on to the, the Brentford defender. I, um, I sold him a couple of weeks ago. So a little bit, a little bit. Oh, I'm a Henry owner, so I'm just as bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you went with um, X, X fast over X tall, didn't you? I did. I did. Yeah. 
yeah um so yeah i think i think generally everyone's fairly happy with um bench boost so far um obviously we have to take into account any hits that any of us have taken and and work that out as to how effective the bench boost has actually been um but i i think i was always going to play it this week i already measured in a minus four having known where i was going from the weeks before so yeah so far okay and fingers crossed the second half of the game week can be as good as the first and we'll get to maybe 20 plus points on average on the on the bench boost making it a a relative success for everyone and it'll be off our backs so yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah doing just for that i i hate the bench boost i don't know about you i hate it so much it it's such a frustration every season Yeah, it's such a strategy burden. You just spend yeah. so much time worrying about it and really it only ever gains you about 20 to 25 points. So really, yeah. why did you bother? Because it, it just compromises your entire strategy for a long like a prolonged period. Well, basically for as long as you've got a, what, the gap between the wild card and the chip, basically. So yeah, I think it's it's good to be rid of it. And yeah. it looks like it'll have not been an absolute car crash, which was the the worry i think when we played it <laughs> always a positive yeah as yeah. long as it's 15 plus points it's okay and we can start selling our 15th and 14th men now and start loading up the squad with some big hitters rather than spreading the money around so yeah it's good to, it's good to finally get that off and and finish finish that for the season yeah brilliant all right on that note i think we'll take a break and we'll be back with you shortly who got the assist? Who got the assist? So the other big news of the week were managerial departures at struggling Leicester, with now only Southampton below them in the table, and mediocre Chelsea now officially marooned in mid-table. So let's start with Leicester. I think there's no two ways about it. Their form is pretty ugly. Uh, it's one point in their last six, including a defeat to Southampton, which puts them rock bottom of the form table. Uh, but looking forward. Uh, after Villa during the double game week, they've got Bournemouth, City, obviously not so good, but Wolves, Leeds, Everton and Fulham. So aside from City, that's quite a tasty run. So um, I guess many people will be wondering, does a change in manager have any impact on our thoughts? Should we be looking at anyone other than Madison or have they just squandered their opportunity in our team because we were all interested in the double game week? <laughs> um, well, it, it's always hard to tell, especially before we know who the manager is that's coming in. Um, There are already rumours and and whispers circling and you can imagine someone like Potter could be a target for them. I don't know whether he'd go, but um, it could be a target. But I think independent of any manager that comes in, James Madison has been consistently brilliant throughout any patches of form they've had, whether it's been up or down. So if you own Madison... I don't think you need to be panicking at all. And equally, I don't think you should expect him to start exploding in the next few weeks under a new manager. I, th- I think we expect more of the same from him. Um, he's The team's basically moulded around him anyway, and I don't think that would change with a new manager. Anyone who came in would probably see that Madison is the linchpin in, in midfield, and they'll probably adapt a system around him just just the way that Rogers had so I think if you've got Madison you're absolutely fine I equally don't think if you don't have him yet you, you don't really need to run to get to him now that opportunity probably has come come and gone in game week 29 and then obviously next week Bournemouth I think it is um yeah, it's Bournemouth. yeah. but I don't think you're buying Madison ahead of Bournemouth knowing that City come after that so I think outside of Madison, if you're if you're looking at other options, maybe a new manager comes in and tries to tighten them up and they've got some very cheap defenders, especially if they try to play a, a five at the back under a new manager. You could see wing backs, Castagna, uh, Pereira or um, Ricardo, as he's known on the game. Um, both could become options potentially. I think I think Ricardo's at 4.3 now. So if we see Leicester tightening up, possibly, but I think we've seen all season that they're just not capable of doing that. So I'm not, I'm not too interested in them. The one that I am interested in, if they're able to nail down a, a starting spot regularly, is Ian Acho. If he could be a 90 minute man 
under any new manager if they prefer him and he hasn't done some horrible despicable things to the manager that comes in like he clearly has with Rogers um then <laughs> kind of offense cause there isn't there exactly yeah like the mystery of what he managed to do to annoy Brendan Rogers will go on forever but if he is able to nail down a starting spot um under a new manager he's under 7 million I believe maybe even 6.1 6.2 and his underlying data has always been extremely strong so if he was a regular starter, he could be a he could be a fantastic option. But outside of that, I'm I'm not I'm not really too sure at this point, especially with midfield spaces being so restricted, as we mentioned earlier on in the pod. Uh, I know our co-host Tom has got Barnes at the moment. Has, um yeah. and obviously he's been very good all season. I think it's his highest ever goal scoring season in the Prem at, at nine or ten goals now. But again, I don't think you're running to him at this point if you don't already have him. No, I think that is the problem with Leicester now, that the obvious opportunity was game week 29. At this point, are you actually going to prioritise them when you know that you've got all of these other doubles to prepare for? You've got other issues. I think it would take something really compelling, like, for example, Ian Acho being nailed, which is possible. But even when he's playing under Rodgers, he's... He's not playing, like, he's often 60 to 70 minutes, which can be a bit annoying. I mean, as you said, he's 6.1, so mm. he's cheap. But I just yeah. don't know, with these you know, nine and ten games to go, is there ever going to be an opportunity to bring them in? I'm not sure there is. As much as, like, I like to have this kind of, like, full game look, but I think, realistically, we've got quite a narrow pool of players to look at knowing that we've got to get the doubles for 34 and the doubles for 37 in. It's just one of those things I think where we're just not going to have the opportunity that we yeah. might have um, as much as I'd like to be more positive on them. Obviously as Southampton fans, we're hoping that it doesn't work and they continue <laughs> to be an absolute disaster. Well, as we know, not all managerial appointments mid season go well, do they Lucy? So <laughs> Or in our experience, none of them ever. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on. Um, Mm -hmm. The other managerial move was obviously Chelsea with Potter leaving his job on Sunday. They've also lost to Southampton in their last six. So that's clearly the beginning of the end for managers these days. (laughs) They did pick up wins against Leeds and, oh yeah, Leicester. I see. So after this game week, the fixtures ahead are Wolves, Fulham, a blank... Brentford, Arsenal and Bournemouth. So again, a decent run if you're using the the 32 free hit. And there's obviously that other double to come in 37. Mm. So, Chelsea, are they any more interesting to us than Leicester? Or have we just got to keep what we've got and see what happens? I think they're a lot more interesting than Leicester. I, I think anyone who's not got Chilwell at the moment, if they were watching the Villa game... I I would have been he was behind like a left the winger, wasn't he? He he was like a left forward. It was ridiculous how far up the pitch he was. Like I I cannot believe he didn't get a return in that game. And similarly in the game before, I also thought it was ridiculous that he wasn't able to get some sort of return out of it. So any Chilwell owners out there who are feeling a bit bitter at the moment, I am with you. I uh, yeah, it's a mystery, but the returns should come eventually as long as they keep playing a similar system one thing I would say is they do have Liverpool up next and I don't think they'll change the system midweek and if Chilwell starts again he goes directly up against Trent so I'm interested in how that might go yeah um, but that that doesn't affect our transfer moves moving forward I suppose what what I would say is Whoever comes in, they will probably have their own idea on uh, on an identity. I personally think that five at the back is the winning formula for Chelsea at this point. People listening in might disagree, um, but I think they've played a lot better with five at the back. And I, I actually think there were green shoots appearing under Potter before he got sacked anyway. I, I, I think they were actually relatively unlucky against Aston Villa as well. So I think there's a lot of promise there. And because they've still got the double game weeks to come, they could be a team that under a new manager could be very interesting to us in two or three weeks. For the time being, probably just wait and see because we've got 
game week 32 to think about we can probably wait until even after game week 34 because until that point we'll be prioritizing transfers for doublers then but 30 35 36 by which point we'll have seen a new manager we'll have seen the new system and which players are working well under that new system i think chelsea transfers in around game week 35 and 36 could be extremely popular and who knows they've got a lot of attacking talent there um any one of them could end up putting their hand up and being the go-to guy yeah i think that villa game would have looked very different if mudrick had scored that early opportunity he yeah. had an opportunity it wasn't like they lacked those opportunities so you know i feel like it was one of those games where had an early goal gone the other way it could have looked very different um as you said chilwell very unlucky not to get something he seemed to spend most of his time just hovering in the box. Like every time he even lopped his cheek got it in the right wing, he was at the back post waving for it. And I was like, yeah. what are you doing? But um, I do agree with you on the on the back five thing. Obviously, with Reese James and Ben Chilwell being their kind of big attacking outlets, it makes a lot of sense to play that system. And I was quite surprised that uh, Potter elected to put James in at right centre-back instead of mm. wing-back because it, it's just not... He's good, but it's just not as effective there. So... I think that might be something that a new manager looks to reverse. I think he's spot on about 35. They have Bournemouth followed by Forest in 35 and 36. So that would appear to be the obvious opportunity. Um, and it's probably the one thing that's holding me back from selling Chilwell is that mm. that little run, 35 and 36, followed by a double in 37. I don't know if I'd be able to get him back again. It's again that whole kind of like, how many free transfers have you got before the end of the season and how can you use them? Um, because that looks potentially really attractive. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the issue with Chelsea is, does anyone know what their best 11 looks like apart from with a back five? No, and I absolutely no idea. Like, especially at the front of the pitch, like I have no idea what their best three is. At the, like, it, it obviously fi- Felix features. <laughs> um, he's been a, a real bright spark despite not having any end product so far. But Sterling's one to come back. Mudrick looks promising, but a bit raw at the moment, I think it's fair to say. Um, And then they've got players like Madueke on the bench that could easily stand up and be counted at any given moment. So it's it's hard to know which of those players are, are going to be completely nailed into the side, possibly barring Havertz. But... Again, that was under an old manager now. You never know who who comes in might have a different idea on Havertz. So just seems too risky to be moving in on any any Chelsea attackers at the moment. The defence looks a little bit more certain, especially in the wing-back slots. But I don't think you can go towards James at the moment because despite any manager is going to manage his minutes because he is a recurring injury doubt. So it looks like Chilwell is the safer of the options. And then outside of that, hopefully by game week 35, we we can see a, a player that's consistently getting the minutes and maybe a few returns. But yeah, I don't know if anyone's standing out for you. No, not really. I'm much the same. I think it's quite good that we have that breathing space on the fixtures so that we get a sense of what a new manager might want to do I mean, I assume they're going to appoint someone. So we'll get a bit more of a settled idea because they've got such a large squad that you'd it would be a gamble to pick anyone at this stage, apart from probably Chilwell. Um, mm. And even then, I'm not sure I'd buy him if I didn't already have him. So No, you're pro- I was just thinking that like, if you don't already have him because because of game week 29, you a lot of people went for him. But if you don't already have him, I'd probably go there until five now. Yeah, unfortunately so. Right. Well, that probably brings us to transfers more generally, which brings me onto the market forces. Uh, I don't think I've ever done this before, so um, watch out. It's a very mixed bag, and I suspect that most engaged managers are waiting for the double game week to finish before making any moves. So the transfers in um, are pretty weird. So we've got Ben White topping the defender transfers with just short of 50k, uh, thanks in large part, I think, to two goals in his last four. He's followed by Mings and Gabrielle, who both have 25,000 transfers in. The midfielder transfers are dominated by City, with Grealish, the pick of the bunch, on 37,000, and Mitoma and De Bruyne making up the top three. So perhaps, given what we've just discussed, that's not so surprising. 
And then up top, Gabriel Jesus leads the way, now officially back on the FPL menu after injury, with 52,000 transfers in. Again, these aren't huge transfer numbers, which again makes me think that people are awaiting, uh, probably for good reason. On the transfers out, Saliba is obviously the big casualty, over 100,000 transfers out after he missed out for Arsenal again. His ownership still hovers around 25%, so I think we can expect to see plenty more of those. Almiron continues to be the most sold midfielder with 54,000 transfers out. And perhaps unsurprisingly, given potential injury and certain suspension, Haaland and Mitrovic are the big sales in the forward area this week. Haaland's got 28,000 sales and Mitrovic is on 22,000. So a bit of a weird one there. Ben White being the main confusion there. But, you know, best defence in the league. Maybe it's not so wild. Um, So I guess that brings us on, Sam. What what are you thinking for transfers or are you solidly waiting for all this Haaland news? Yeah, I've got to be waiting for Haaland news at the moment because I'm so... Um, and my team depends so heavily on who I would be taking out for Haaland at this point because I've locked myself out of Tony to Haaland directly. I need to wait on a couple of factors, whether Tony is banned for one, that could influence things. Obviously injuries in the second half of the game week as well. And then whether... Kane is looking sharp under new management as well, could potentially influence things, as well as the obvious elephant in the room of, is Haaland going to be fit for Southampton or not? If if he is, as a Southampton fan, I might have some negative bias there, but I like to think he'd do quite well against us. So I think I'd probably move for him. Um, I love how Kane. our bias works negatively. We're like, oh, they're playing Southampton, so they'll score like five goals. Yeah, it's yeah. sad how many times we're right, though. So <laughs> I make a lot of points out of yeah. captaining against Saints, unfortunately. Oh, no, it's so horrible. I'm looking forward to a, a year in the championship and we actually might win a few games. But anyway, um, Haaland, yeah, would be the priority transfer in. Um, it's just a matter of how how much I trust whether he starts or not. If I'm even slightly doubtful I might chance my arm against it and look elsewhere maybe at, at Salah um but yeah. have you got an easy route to Salah I've got a complicated route to Salah but I, okay. I'm confident that I'd do it and that would be Saka and Tony and Tony would go for Greenwoods and that would open up funds and either way eventually I need to downgrade one of my striker slots and I think that's the position I'm happiest to do a downgrade in at this point yeah I think that's the least area area of least value isn't it really yeah exactly and midfield seems to be the area of most value by a considerable margin at the moment so I'm happy to prioritize an upside pick in midfield and get Salah in early ahead of game week 34. And then effectively what I'd be doing is reversing my priority list from Harlan comes in ASAP to Salah comes in ASAP and then Harlan comes in after the free hit instead of Salah coming in after the free hit. So that would be my logic, but whether or not we get good information before the deadline, who knows? Um, How about you? What What are you thinking so far? Well, I think the problem is, as you said, with there's just so much unknown, particularly with this Tony not suspension, maybe suspension hanging over us with the with the nine yellow cards. Obviously, if Haaland isn't available and Tony isn't suspended, I might even be tempted to roll, go knowing that Liverpool play Arsenal, so it's not exactly the ideal time to buy Salah. That's um, a good point. Yeah. Um, Saka to Salah is a is a move I can currently afford, although prices will have to be kind to me. Um, but yeah, I don't yet know if I would make that move straight away if Tony's available because it it kind of reduces the incentive to do it. Um, mm. But yeah, it really just depends on Haaland because obviously if if Haaland is available, not only is he the obvious transfer, he's also the obvious captain. Um, yeah. Do you have any ideas where you'd put the captaincy if you couldn't buy Haaland? Yeah, so, well, it, it goes against what I was just saying my potential transfers could be. And I think you make a really good point, by the way, on 
maybe just rolling and then you could do the double transfer the following week for free especially if you've got double brighton midfield and you could just end up playing both of them um instead of tony and just holding um but captaincy wise you could look at someone like Saka away at Liverpool I don't mind that at all and it it would be pretty different but Liverpool have been very shaky at the back all season in terms of big chances conceded I know that XG um, has been better as of late but they still look like they're conceding a relatively decent amount of big chances and if well, Saka might not be the prime candidate in that team either. If you had Martinelli, I'd be seriously tempted to go there because I can see them having a lot of joy down that left wing. Um, other other than that, Everton at home for Rashford seems like a pretty good bet. Rashford at home as well is, has been very, very good. There was a, a running theory a few weeks ago that you could, because City and uh, United never play home at the same time, you could just switch the captaincy week to week and have Haaland when City are at home and Rashford when United, uh, United are at home. So Rashford could be a bet, but he has actually blanked three times in a row now, which I couldn't yeah. believe. I still haven't lost faith in him, though. I feel I think he's still a great option. So I'd be ha- pretty comfortable going with either of those options. Is there a- anyone else standing out for you? No, I have to say, I think it's that Man United home fixture to, against Everton. I think that's far and away the best fixture in terms of likely owned assets and and what, what's available. I think Spurs at home to Brighton obviously isn't a great fixture for Kane. No. That probably rules him out. Um, you're not likely to have another Man City player because obviously if you if you know you had someone like Grealish, he even then that feels like a massive risk. Um so yeah, I can't really look beyond beyond Man United, really. And that Would sounds very dull. Just out of interest, I, like I, nobody is doing this, surely, but if you were feeling really brave and you knew Haaland was out, would you swap to Alvarez and put put the captaincy on him? No. I mean, no. I wouldn't. I'm just too dull for that. I could see... Yeah, so am I. So am I. I would do that. Um, and maybe it could be, you know, we're discussing if Tony got suspended but Haaland wasn't available, maybe someone would look at Tony to Alvarez and that would also... Probably, you know, in your position, for example, Tony to Alvarez, would would that be enough to buy you Salah? I'd have to double check. You see, now I put thought into your head. Maybe I might. I'll, I'll look at that and and see if it is. <laughs> um, I realistically, I think Harlan plays, as I mentioned earlier. But if if we get news that he's out, and for example, if we get news that for some reason he's out for a, a good couple of weeks, Alvarez could be nailed ish into that city lineup up front in a team that are creating chances specifically for a center forward now he could be a bet that you could make so yeah interesting but probably probably too rich for my blood (laughs) (laughs) i think also the other thing you have to kind of take into consideration with man united is because of this double game week where people have gone quite big on man united so obviously bruno's being quite popular as has Shaw. I think you've got to factor in the fact, and I, I don't like being conservative like this, but EO on those Man United players is going to be high. So yeah. captaincy could be extra, extra torturous. You know, we've we've seen Rashford's got, what, about 150% this week. It wouldn't be that surprising if it was similar next week, particularly given that a lot of people have kind of diverged in their strategies over the double game week. Um, so I think that's probably something to take into consideration, particularly if you're defending rank, then I think Man United almost become kind of a no-brainer. It's just yeah. how you chase if you want to switch it up because there aren't many obvious fixtures. So something like Alvarez might be the best way to make up ground. Or, I, you know, I, I'm not completely against the Saka thing, um, mm. but I just feel it feels a bit counterintuitive going away at Liverpool for a captaincy, as good as Arsenal have been. Uh, but yeah. there's just a real dearth of like obvious options this week, just because quite a lot of decent teams are effectively cancelling each other out. You know, Liverpool and Arsenal, Spurs and Brighton. I mean, whether you call Spurs good, good or not, it's another thing. Um, <laughs> They've got a good player. <laughs> yeah, Brent, Brentford and Newcastle being another one. Like, there's just not many good teams against poor teams this week. And you just get that quirk of the fixture schedule sometimes, don't you, that that's just the case. And it... 
it can be a little bit frustrating if you want to look away from the obvious in Man United here to try and find a, a way to gain rank. I, I, there aren't many obvious ones, so I think you're going to have to take a big punt if you want to do that. And yeah. I would tend to think that if you're having to force that that kind of differential captaincy, then maybe this isn't the week to be looking at that because it could just be very, very painful, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you would have to be extremely brave if Harlem was out to go against Rashford, especially considering the the EO argument that you made as well. He will be very, very highly owned, probably akin to this week as well. So yeah, I I think Rashford is the obvious bet if Harland is out for any reason. Well, I think on that moment of agreement, Tom won't be too disappointed with what we've put together this week. Thank you for coming on, Sam. I think, hope you've had a good time. Um, thanks for your thoughts. Thank you so much. Yeah, th- thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks again, Lucy, for having me on. Um, I've really enjoyed it. And it's been great chatting to you um, face-to-face for the first time as well. Um, and also, it's always great to be on the show too. So as always, we were Who Got The Assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. You can find Lucy at Lucy Hynet with two T's. And you can find me, Sam, at FPL Pricey. As always, as well, if you did enjoy listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners, new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify. It really does go a long way and it helps other people find the podcast as well. Thanks, everyone. We'll be back next week to see how the dust settles. Thanks for listening. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.